back in the early 2000s, there was a website. It was called amihotornot.com. And you could send a picture of yourself into the to this website, and they would post it, and then people would score you on a scale of one to ten whether you were hot or not. Now, for those of you who are not very modern, hot means were you attractive, were you good looking, were you and people would look at your picture to determine if you were hot or not. And I guess that helped some people's self esteem, and I guess it blew some people away but you know often we make judgments on appearances don't we I was just thinking about some of the SEC football games yesterday and you know on paper it appeared that certain teams were going to win you know Alabama uh, LSU uh, who else got beat yesterday Uh, you know and uh, the announcers were talking about how the SEC West which Alabama and LSU are in is so much better than the SEC East. Well, on paper, it looked that way. But when they got on the field, it happened differently. We make, a, you know, we make judgments based on appearance. You, you see a guy wearing brown shorts and a brown shirt and a brown cap driving a big square brown truck. What do you think? That's a UPS guy, right? What if he's got on a light blue shirt and sort of medium blue shorts and a hat and he's driving a white truck with a red, white, and blue stripe down the side of it? He's a postman, right? Or a guy's got on white pants and a white T-shirt and a little loop on the side of his pants. He's a painter, okay? Or a guy's got on all blue and a hat with a bill on it and he's got a, a badge on. He's a police officer. At least, at least you think that they are. You don't know. They might be imposters. But we, we like to look at things and we make judgments on what we see. There, there was once upon a time back in the day when, you know, if you saw a guy and he had a pipe and a vest and a suit on, you thought, well, that's a theologian. Or you saw a guy with horn rim glasses and a turtleneck, turtleneck collar, he's a college professor. Uh, you know, or you saw a guy in a pinstripe suit, you thought, he's mafia, he's a gangster. And we make judgments on outward appearances of people, how they dress, how they look. But you know, I want you to think today a little bit about what does a disciple look like. We've been talking about disciples for the past couple of weeks, and I want you to think about what should a disciple look like. And here's a question I raised today. How can we sum up the characteristics of a disciple of Jesus Christ? You know, is there a certain way that people are supposed to dress? When I was growing up, you know, you go to church on Sunday and everybody pretty much looked the same. The men all had on dark suits and a white shirt and tie, and the ladies all had on long dresses, and they had on these little hats that had flowers and birds and and bees and stuff coming out of them. And, you know, that's the way everybody looked on Sunday, you know. And today, you know, people don't dress like that anymore what about this picture that we're going to put up here Uh, is this a way a disciple is supposed to look you know Leonardo da Vinci painted this this is the last supper and you have Jesus and his 12 disciples all gathered around and they're huddled in chances are they didn't look like that 
they didn't probably have those bright colored clothes on. Of course, Da Vinci, he's a painter, and he's going he's gonna to put all the color in there and all that. Their clothes were probably dirty and dingy. They didn't take them home and wash them in the Maytag washer at night and put on clean clothes every day. What does a disciple look like? That's what I want you to think about today because that can be important. You know, really, being a disciple of Jesus Christ is not about how you dress, your outward appearance. It's more about what's going on here in your heart. <coughs> Excuse me. It's about your behavior. It's about how you conduct your lives as you go about your business. Philippians 2.15 says, talking of Christians, Paul said, they became blameless and pure children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky. Paul's saying there's going to be something about a Christian that's going to be different. There's going to be something as people look at us and see us in this world that they're going to know that there's something different. We will shine. We're going to look at several verses today that bring out some characteristics that Jesus desired for his disciples to have. You know, we've been going through this series, and we've talked about, as we went through this series, that a disciple of Jesus would be devoted. Jesus said, if anyone would come after me, he would deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. That's commitment. Jesus also calls us to worship together. So disciples will worship together. Disciples will also grow spiritually. We've talked about all these topics. They will serve humbly. They will give cheerfully. They will live faithfully. And today I want us to close out this series called Disciple as we kind of put this all together and Jesus points out some characteristics that disciples will have. Now there are three scriptures in the book of John. You can go ahead and turn to the book of John if you have a Bible. There's a pew Bible there and you'll even find the page numbers where these scriptures are listed in there. Some of you have it on your phone or your tablet. Uh, the Apostle John was one of cl Jesus' closest apostles. He was part of the inner circle of three of the apostles that Jesus would often take away, Peter and John's brother James, and he would take them off by themselves. John was present at most of the ministry that Jesus had while he was here on earth, before he was crucified. He was there when Jesus was transfigured and God spoke about him. He was there in this picture of the Last Supper. He was sitting right next to Jesus, and the, the Bible indicates that he leaned on Jesus and asked him a question. He, was, he knew Jesus. He'd been taught by Jesus. He was, you know, sanctioned to be one of these 12 that would go out into the world and help spread the gospel. He was there at the crucifixion. In fact, Jesus indicated that he wanted John to take care of his mother after he was gone from this earth. John was the first of the apostles to step inside the empty tomb where Jesus had laid and see the empty grave clothes. 
John's gospel is different from the other three gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. In John's gospel, you know, in those others, it's about stories of Jesus, and it's about uh, parables and miracles that Jesus did. John doesn't record any parables. He only records seven miracles that Jesus did. It's more spiritual. As you read John, you realize he's a little deeper. He's thinking a little differently. And he brings out some characteristics about Jesus that we ought to think about. And especially what we ought to think about is where Jesus says the characteristics that we ought to have. So let's look at the first of these verses today. Three scriptures where Jesus uses the words, My disciples. That's Jesus speaking. My disciples. I want us to sort of focus on this and hopefully it'll help us see what Jesus' disciples would look like. First of these is John 8, 31. To the Jews who had believed in him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. If you hold to my teaching. So, Jesus' disciples strive to follow his teachings. You know, there can be a sort of pseudo-belief that some Christians will have. Not really a true belief in Jesus. Yeah, you know, they, they want to claim Jesus. They want to go to heaven. They certainly don't want to go to hell, so we'll take a little Jesus if that's what's going to get me in heaven. But Jesus says, no, my disciples will hold to my teaching. Now, that's, that's an important thing because that word means to grasp it. In fact, the word in the original Greek language for, for hold can mean to abide in, to remain in, to dwell in, to dwell in Jesus' teaching. That is, to take it in and to understand it and to let it carry you as you live your life, as you go through life here on this earth. He goes on to say in the next verse, then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So many people wonder why, you know, we can't figure out what truth is. You got your truth, I got my truth. That's because they're not holding to the, to the teachings of Jesus. So you hold to the teachings of Jesus, you're going to know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Because the truth of Jesus is going to set you free from the sin in your life, and real freedom comes from following Jesus' teaching so that we get free from the sin. Because you know what sin does to us? It drives us crazy in the long run. You know, sin, sin will make you have feelings of guilt and shame. It will bring about addiction and greed and unhappiness and all sorts of negative feelings in your life. And until you let go of that, until you get forgiveness of that, you're going to always feel this burden, this struggle. You will never be free. But you know, here's something important. Before you can know the teachings of Jesus, before you can follow and hold on to the teachings of Jesus, you've got to know the teachings of Jesus. You, you, you have to know these things that are important. That's why worshiping together and growing together spiritually are so important. That's why we did a whole sermon on those things. Because that is where you come to know the teachings of Jesus. 
And growing spiritually involves, you know, not just coming to church, but reading God's Word and praying to God and acting on the things that you learn as you go throughout. Second verse. John 13, 34, and 35. A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so must you love one another. By this, everyone will know you are my disciples, if you love one another. So love. Jesus' disciples seek to love others as he did. Now, if you think about this command, it's really... Some people might say, well, that's not a new command. You can go back to the Old Testament. Jesus taught, <coughs> taught about this. In the Old Testament, Deuteronomy 6, 5, it says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind. That is a command to do that. In uh, Leviticus nineteen eighteen, it says, Love your neighbor as you love yourself. That is a command. Jesus even taught that first one, Deuteronomy 6, 5. It's the first and the greatest commandment, he said. Is to love God. The second one is like it, that Leviticus 19, 18, to love your neighbor as you love yourself. Jesus said it's the second greatest commandment. So it doesn't seem like that's new, but Jesus put a qualifier on it. He said, as I have loved you, so must you love one another. That's what makes it new. That's what makes his command new because they had never heard anything like this before. Well, how did Jesus love? There's a word in the Greek language. We've talked about this before. If you're new to Central, you may not have heard it. If you've been around Central, you've heard the word agape. In the original Greek language, it means this unconditional love. It is a, a respect for other people, a care, a, a compassion. It wants good for people. It's willing to sacrifice for other people. That's the kind of love that God has for us. He gave up His own Son. He loved us so much. Watched him suffer on a cross. He loved us so much. Now we sing, you know, there's no mountain too high that God won't try to conquer that to bring his love to you. But he leaves one thing up to you, and that is the choice to love him back. And he so loves you. And he wants you to love him. And he wants you to love other people. He wants you to take his love and his grace and his hope out to this crazy world that we live in. That's why we've been teaching that not only do we worship together and we grow spiritually, but we serve humbly and we give cheerfully. You know, your giving back to God is part of your worship, expressing your love to Him. You know, it's interesting that this verse that we're looking at right here comes right on the heels of Jesus the night before he died he knelt down and he washed dirty feet of those apostles there's not many of you in here I'm going to get down and wash your feet but Jesus did and I guess I would because he says I, I need to if you need it done if you would have seen my cleats after the golf tournament we were in for uh, the East Tennessee Children's Home fundraiser yesterday, you would have said, Preacher, I ain't washing them dirty golf shoes. Those are bad. But Jesus did. He got down. He humbly served. The Son of God put himself in the place of a servant. 
I can see him getting down on one knee, taking a little basin of water and maybe a rag and wiping off those stinky feet. You know, a lot of times when it comes to love, uh, many of us Christian people, somebody pointed out that we're like a garden hose. You know, a garden hose has a little handle on the end of it, and you pull the trigger on it, and the, and the water comes out. And so we take that garden hose, and we say, well, I'll put a little bit of my love over here. No, I don't like that place. I ain't going to give them no love there. I'll put a little bit over here, spray a little bit right there. But somebody said, we need to be more like a soaker hose. You know, you put it out in the garden, it's got little holes in it, and water's just continuously coming out of it. And we need to be like that hose where our love, as we go about our lives it's just continuously the love of Christ is flowing out of us to other people in this world we live in third verse John 15 8 this is to my father's glory that you bear much fruit showing yourselves to be my disciples so we're supposed to hold to his teaching we're supposed to love others and we're supposed to bear fruit so Jesus' disciples show spiritual maturity in visible ways. You know, you think about bearing fruit. Think about a grapevine. You know, if you see a vine growing and there's nothing on it, you don't know what kind of vine it is. But if you see grapes hanging on it, it's a grapevine. The grapevine was actually the symbol of God's people in the Old Testament. And Jesus even taught, did a teaching about grapevines. You'll find that in, uh, in John chapter 15 right here. It's just before this verse that we just read. And I just want to take you through that. Verse 15, chapter 15, verse 1. Jesus said, I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. So God planted a vine. He's cultivating the vine, and Jesus is the vine. And on a vine there are branches. That is the disciples of Jesus Christ. In verse 2 there, he says, He cuts off every branch. That the first kind of vine, there are four kinds he talks about, or branches, bears no fruit. So the ones that don't bear any fruit, he's just going to get rid of them. You know, that's the way they prune the vines so they would get more lush and grow more grapes. If a, if a branch did not have any grapes growing on it, they would cut that off. So the nutrients would not be wasted on an unproductive vine. They would go to the, vine, to the branches that had the grapes on it. Then he goes on to say, uh, while every branch that does bear fruit, there's the second one, bears some fruit, he prunes. So he's going to, you know, if there's a little fruit there, he's going to work with you. He's going to do it. It goes on to, uh, uh, you know, he, he, he will, then it says, the third kind of vine so that after pruning, it will bear even more fruit. So he's going to help mature you as this vine that is bearing this fruit. Now it says here in verse 3, you are already clean. Cleaning the vine was part of the pruning. Uh, they would clean the mud, and you know, vines grow close to the ground. The mud, after a rain, would splatter up on them, and they couldn't get sunlight, and so he would, the, the vine dresser, God, would clean them off. He would help to bring some cleaning to them so they could get the nutrients they needed. And then Jesus said, remain in me. You have to remain attached to the vine if you're going to get the nutrients 
and the nutrients that come from the vine, you know, you make the connection to the Holy Spirit. When you're connected to Jesus, who is the vine, you have the Holy Spirit living in you and helping you to become all he wants you to be. Jesus reiterates in verse 5, I am the vine, and you are the branches. If you remain in me, you remain connected to Jesus. And then there's a fourth kind of vine, you will bear much fruit. Now what is the fruit that we bear? It's spiritual maturity. If we have the Spirit of God flowing through us, which comes through Jesus and comes into our lives, we're going to begin to grow. In the book of Galatians, it talks about the fruit of the Spirit, which is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and self-control. And those are the things that produces in us so that we can go out into the world and we can begin to serve God in a way that will make us bring glory to God. Now, we're never going to be perfect this side of heaven, but we should and can be growing in this spiritual fruit that God wants us to have. He wants us to be fruitful. And that kind of fruit leads to the growth of the kingdom and the church and sets glory to God. Now, this kind of growth doesn't happen overnight. It really doesn't. It takes some effort on your part. Because God doesn't just randomly pick people and say, I'm going to fill him full of my spirit. He wants people that have, as we started this series off with, have committed to follow him. He wants people that are willing to put the effort into being a disciple of Jesus Christ. I want to tell you about a, a, uh, uh, something I read this week. J.D. Greer has written a book gospel rediscovering the power that made Christianity revolutionary. In Jesus' day, it was revolutionary. People's lives were changed. They still are today. But J.D. Greer talks about, think of our relationship with Christ like a balloon. There are two ways to keep a balloon afloat. You can fill a balloon with your breath, and the only way to keep it in the air is to continually smack it upward. You know, think about this balloon right here. It's not going anywhere by itself. You get it up, you gotta, you got to keep hitting it. Greer goes on to say, that's how religion keeps you motivated. It repeatedly hits you. Stop doing this. Get doing that. This is why my life as a pastor, he said, on, on people come on Sunday so I can smack them about. Be more generous. Serve more. They go for a week, and they come back, and then I say, go do missions. Go on a trip. And they sign up for something. And every week, I smack them back into a spiritual orbit. No wonder people don't like me, he said. <laughs> I hope, I hope y'all don't see me that way. But you know, we, we can be. If we're filled with our, with our breath, our spirit, that's all you got. Somebody's got to keep popping you up in the air. But here's what he says. There's another way to keep the balloon afloat. And y'all know what I'm going to do. You fill it with helium. Now you think about helium. It's, it's, a, different kind of, it's a different kind of gas than air is. And God wants to fill you with his Holy Spirit. 
And if you're connected to the vine, you have the Spirit of God working in your life. And you don't need some preacher to smack you around to make you be afloat. That's because then you get from the preacher and from the Sunday school teacher and from the other believers, you get nourishment as well as you come and be part and you worship together and you grow spiritually and you serve humbly and you live faithfully and you give cheerfully, then you become more and more what Jesus desires for you to be. Here's our connection point. As we grow closer to Jesus, we will become more like the disciples Jesus desires. You know, he's got something in mind for you. He's got something he wants you to be. And it all happens when we strive to know and understand and follow Jesus. It happens when we worship together and we grow spiritually. And we seek to love others the way Jesus loved. And that happens as we serve humbly and we give cheerfully. And he wants you to show and demonstrate spiritual maturity in, the, in your lives. And we do that as we live faithfully for him. You know, before I came to Bristol 10 years ago, I loved to fly fish. I still would love to fly fish, but I started playing golf and I don't have time to fly fish. And... There were some places I would always go to the Smoky Mountains, just about always where I did my fly fishing. And there's a place up in the Smoky Mountains where it was absolutely gorgeous. And it just seemed when I went there, I caught more fish, and they were bigger fish, and I always enjoyed myself. And it was a place where you had to hike three miles to get to. But one day I was fishing, and I noticed there's never anybody fishing up here. Why? I don't need anybody fish up here. Have I found the long lost, you know, trout place to fish in the Smokies? And it just kind of hit me one day. You know why nobody fishes up here? Because it's so stinking hard to get here. You got to hike three miles. And if you want to fish early in the morning, you got to, there's a backcountry camping site there where you, you got to backpack the day before and camp. And then you get up in the morning early and go fishing. And man, it's just, it was beautiful, and the fish, and it just kind of dawned on me one day, it takes some effort to go to that beautiful place and enjoy that fishing. You know, going to the beautiful place of being a disciple that Jesus wants to take you to, it's going to take some effort on, on your part, my part, all of our part. But Jesus says, you know, don't worry because my yoke is easy and my burden is light because he's going to fill you with his Holy Spirit and he'll help you as you go about this journey that he wants to take you on to become the disciple that he wants you to be so that you can live this life in this world to help glorify God and build up his kingdom and make this place that we live and we love a more beautiful place for everybody. Jesus calls us to be his disciple, to commit, to worship together, to, to grow spiritually, to serve humbly, to give cheerfully, to, to live faithfully. Let's do it. Let's pray. God, we thank you today.
for Jesus and his teaching, Lord. And gosh, just all that he gave up. He stepped out of heaven to come down here and be our, our Savior. And he loves us and he wants to draw everybody to him, but he doesn't force anybody. It's our choice. And he wants us to be these disciples, Lord, that go about living a life of following him. He's promised us that the yoke will be easy and the burden light, but we have to, we have to put some effort in and we begin to walk and follow him and, and go the way he wants us to go. And The rewards are so great, not just that we get to go to heaven, Lord, but we get to experience what happens as we take the love of Christ and the grace of Christ into the world and, and so many other people would come to know it too. And, and then we get to fellowship with them. And we get to have those conversations where people talk about, man, you just didn't know how bad I was before I found Jesus or before he found me. And we get to see life changed. And we get to see the kingdom built and you glorified. Thank you for calling us. Now help us as we go forward to be those disciples. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.